Well, good morning. We're glad you're here. We want to welcome those who are worshiping with us online today. Glad that you're worshiping with us as well. Now, last week we talked about the powerful principle of application. We said it's not enough to just learn something, to study it, to be aware of it, but then you have to apply it. You actually have to do it for it to work. And we've picked five life hacks, life applications, and they're very helpful and tangible and practical. So today we're going to talk about life hack number one. But before we get into that, I want to just mention that there was a chemist back in 1886 named George Pemberton, and he created something called Coca-Cola. Are you familiar with it? Yeah, the word got out, okay? There's an interesting phenomenon about what happened between 1886 and now. Did you know that the Coke logo is the second most recognizable logo in the world today. Were you aware of that? At Coca-Cola, they have a mission statement. They say, we want to have a Coke within arm's reach of everyone on the planet. That pretty much encompasses everyone, doesn't it? And the reason I tell you this is because, not because we're gonna look at the second most recognizable logo today, but it's because we're gonna look at the first most recognizable logo. Do you know what that is? It's the cross. That's right. It's the cross. And you may have it, you may have it, um, it's the cross. And you may have it, you know, on churches or you may see it in the community. You may see it uh, at home. You may have it there as well. But it's recognizable. And so when you see the cross, it's important. It's hospitals. It's everywhere, isn't it? And the point is, you may have a church background or not, but the cross is available to all of us. It's right there before us. And once we understand the story behind the symbol, there's a very practical, practical, tangible, helpful way for us to look at this within arm's reach. And by the way, you don't have to be a part of the church to be a part of the cross, right? You know, you may not be in a church, you may not know God, but you can come to know the cross and you can come to know God and you can come to know the church that way. Let me ask you a question. Has there ever been a time in your life when somebody has done you wrong? Yeah, now look, don't bail off into telling me about it, okay? Because everybody here has a story or two or maybe three or more that we could tell about that, right? Because it's happened. Somebody lied to us. Somebody cheated us. Somebody misrepresented themselves. Somebody harmed our reputation. Somebody broke trust in our relationship. And the truth is that we could share those stories about that today because those, sh those stories have also shaped us to some degree, haven't they? They've had an effect on us. But wouldn't you also agree that not only has our response shaped us, but if we respond to revenge by holding a grudge, it shapes us as well. Wouldn't you agree that grudge holding is a guilty pleasure? Sometimes it feels good to hold a grudge, doesn't it? I'm just going to hang on to that for a while and let it simmer. But holding a grudge might feel good for a while, but does it really work? See, I'm skeptical that it really doesn't work. You know why? Because I've held one. <laughs> and you have too. And if you're still hanging on to it, it doesn't really work, does it? Yeah, it doesn't work at all. And that means it's not working. So some of us make present day decisions 
based on what happened to us years and years ago, right? And so the sinister thing about a grudge is this. The longer you hold a grudge, the longer the grudge has a hold of you. And here's my point. If you keep carrying the grudge, the weight of that grudge will be too much and emotionally you'll collapse underneath it. I'm praying that we would simply allow God to speak to us today to release us from the grip of the grudge. You see, God has a plan for each of us, but some of us are chain linked to the past. And today, if you'll allow God to release the grip of the grudge, then you can pursue life in the present and the future and not just be caught in the past. But for some of us, the wound is just too fresh. It's too fresh. You're not ready for that. The last thing you want to hear is a guy like me talking about getting rid of that grip of the grudge. And I understand that. <clears throat> but I want you to consider something, even if it is too fresh. As time progresses, you're going to realize that the person you're holding the grudge against is not being hurt by you holding a grudge against them. Who's being hurt? You are. That's right. And when the day arrives that you remember that, I hope that you'll see that there's a God in heaven who can help you release the grip of the grudge and forgive. So today, we're going to talk about the story behind the symbol. And then we're going to move on to a passage of scripture that introduces our life hack for today. Here's what I want you to know. Forgiveness works better than grudge holding. Amen? Yeah, it does. It just works better. And the cross may be the world's most recognizable symbol. But as we look at the cross today, we see how in Rome and that regime in those days, that they crucified Jesus Christ. Now, here's what I want you to know. When they crucified Christ in the Eastern Legion of Rome, the area that they did this, they probably didn't do it the way you've seen it done. They didn't do it with a, a cross that's made out of a T that's a lowercase letter. It was probably more of a cross that was a T made out of an uppercase letter because that's the way they did it in that part of Rome where Jesus was crucified. And in all likelihood, that's probably what they did with him. The most significant thing about that is when you picture the cross, you've always seen it about 15 to 22 feet high. It's up above. You're always looking up to Jesus on the cross. But in this particular part of Rome, in this region where Jesus was crucified, they did it differently. They did it about five to six feet off the ground, and there's a reason for that. They wanted it to be personal. They wanted it to be psychological. They wanted you to be able to look face to face and eye to eye with the person who was being crucified. And it was a horrific experience. And they knew that once you did that, you would never forget it. And that would be in the back of your mind. And you would be thinking to yourself, if I don't do what they want me to do, this could happen to me. And I don't want that to happen to me, right? But there's another interesting thing that took place because of that. When Jesus was crucified, and he was so up close and personal, and, and you could look into his face and look into his eyes, you could also see the face and the eyes of the Savior. And that's something you would never forget. Because when you come into an encounter with Jesus, it changes everything. 
You're not the same person that you were before, even if it's not during the crucifixion. You're different because you've been in the presence of God. And isn't that a powerful thing that we can look into his eyes and his face and that we can see the forgiveness there? When Jesus was crucified, there was a far greater kingdom than Rome. There was a far greater message and there was a far greater significance. And that was that the kingdom of God was saying, come face to face, come eye to eye with the Savior. Because when you do that, you'll never forget. Now, what the scripture teaches us with the story of the cross is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us so that we might be saved. And the reason it's important to remember that is because you were there that day. We all were. The cross isn't reserved for 2,000 years ago. The cross is timeless. The cross means that God's grace and forgiveness has come to you and me. The symbol of death in those days has become the symbol of life and victory and celebration today because Jesus has conquered sin and death. And once we embrace the cross and we understand who Jesus is, then God looks at you and me differently and he says, forgiven, holy, righteous, son, daughter, forgiven. And that's the power of the cross and it's grace and forgiveness. And it doesn't just come to us, but it goes through us and it begins to flow out of us. We're not just recipients of grace and forgiveness. We are distributors of grace and forgiveness. And the bottom line of a life hack of forgiveness is simple. Forgiven people forgive. Say that with me. Forgiven people forgive. The reason we forgive is forgiveness begins to release the grip of the grudge. Forgiveness breaks the chain of the past. It allows us to move forward into the present and into the future. Our Heavenly Father deeply desires that for us. Now, God inspired a man named Paul to write five verses where we could apply this forgiveness. And he wrote them in Romans, the 12th chapter. And this is our life hack of forgiveness today. It says this, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not repay evil for evil. Now, what Paul wants us to understand is that God can help us release the grip of the grudge and, and we can process that in our own lives. Paul doesn't say you need to be in partnership with everyone. He says you need to be at peace. Now, think about that for a minute. Because let's say you have a partner and he cheats you and he steals from you and, and he's your partner. What do you need to do? Say, well, thank you very much. May I have another? No, you don't do that because you don't have to be in partnership with everybody, but you have to be at peace. And so you get some people around you who love you and who will pray for you and who will help you. And you will say, I've got to stop this partnership with this person, but I want to do it in such a way that there is peace. And I need your help for that to occur. So I don't just set myself up to be abused all the time. I'm not in partnership anymore, but I can be at peace. And so that's what you do. And it says, 
Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. All right. Now, just listening to that verse, here's what I want you to do. I want to ask you a question, and I want you to respond out loud. And it's not a trick question, but it's based on this verse. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. So, here's the question. Whose job is it to avenge you? God's, that's right. And then let me ask you this, not a trick question. I want you to respond out loud again. When you avenge yourself, whose job are you assuming? That's right. And you don't want to do that. Because guess what? We do a sorry job of being God. I mean, have you ever seen God's job description? I have, and I don't want it. I'd much rather God take care of what he's responsible for and just let me have my own little area. I have enough trouble with that, right? Paul is saying focus on the grip of the grudge and let God avenge you. Now, the reason we don't forgive people a lot of times is because we begin to think that we're letting them off the hook, that somehow God is not going to deal with them and the wrong that they did to us, and so we've got to make sure that that happens, but that's not true. What Paul is saying is, why don't you do your job and let God do his job? It's freeing, and then it goes on and says this, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now listen to me. Forgiveness is aggressive. Forgiveness is not passive. It's taking action. We're talking about breaking chains. We're talking about moving forward. And when you and I do our part, God does his part. And Paul sums it up this way. We've got two choices. He says, do not overcome evil by evil, but overcome evil with good. We've got a choice. We can try to overcome evil with evil. We can hang on to the grudge. We can try to get revenge, or we can overcome evil by good and do what the Scripture says for us to do, and we'll be heaping coals, hot coals on our enemy. And so the story of the cross is to apply what we learn in forgiveness. Now, step number one is to embrace God's forgiveness of you. Because if you embrace God's forgiveness of you, you're saying, you know what? I got what I didn't deserve. <laughs> and now I need to give what folks don't deserve. And I need to forgive. And that's where you start. Now, for some of you, the wound is too fresh. And the last thing you want to hear is a guy like me telling you what to do about that. And so I would just say to you, I get that. I understand. And so here's what I want you to do. Re revel in the truth that God looks at you and says, you're my son, you're my daughter, you're forgiven, you're blameless in my sight, and just let that sink in for a while. And then you can act on that. Second, forgiven people forgive. Forgiven people forgive, which leads us to number three, let God avenge you. And then here's number four that you just rest in this truth. That's why forgiveness works and grudge holding doesn't. That's why forgiveness works and grudge holding doesn't. The power of the cross and the forgiveness that flows to us and through us really works. 
You know, there's a fascinating story I want to tell you today about Louis Samperini. He's a great American runner. In 1936, he was in the Olympics, and he his roommate was Jesse Owens, and he was so good in the Olympics that they were sure he would be the front runner to win the gold medal in the 1940 Olympics. The only problem was they didn't have the 1940 Olympics because World War II broke out. So rather than run in the Olympic Games, Louis Samperini joined the U.S. Army Air Corps, and he served his country in World War II. One day he was flying a rescue mission when his plane went down, and it killed everybody on the plane but him and two other guys. And they climbed into two life rafts, and they drifted in the Pacific Ocean for 2,000 miles for 47 days. And while he was out there in that life raft, Louis Samperini prayed, God, if you're really there, if you'll get me out of this, I'll give my life to you. And on day 47, he was captured by the Japanese Navy. There's a book and a movie about this. Maybe you've seen it. It's called Unbroken. Now, Louis Amperini was severely beaten and tortured, and the conditions of his prison were deplorable. And there were a lot of different guards who beat him, but there was one who really stood out. There was a man by the name of Matashiro Watanabe, Watanabe. And the day that Louis Zamferini came to Watanabe's prison, Watanabe looked at him and he said, where did I recognize this prisoner from? Where have I seen this guy before? And then it came to him. He's that Olympic runner that ran in the Olympics, and it made him hate him even more. And so he took all of his vengeance and hatred and all the brutality he had on Louis Zamperini. And then after Louis Zamperini was home from the war, what was done to him caused so much anger in him that he began to drink alcohol, and he became an alcoholic. And he was devastated, and it devastated his marriage, and he started going into a downward spiral. And then one night in 1949, his wife came to him and said, Louis, there's a preacher coming to Los Angeles. His name is Billy Graham. Would you come with me to listen to him? And he didn't want to go. But she kept saying, please. And you know how wives are. And she got her way, and Louis Zamperini went to hear him. And then after they came home, she said, would you go back? And she kept on. Finally, he said, okay, I'll go back. But he said, you know, I really don't believe in God, and I don't want to go, but I'll go. But he said, when the preacher says, let us pray, we're going to stand up and leave. She said, okay. So he went, and the preacher said, let us pray. And when he stood up to leave, he and his wife were walking toward the exit. And that prayer that he had prayed from the life raft in World War II came to mind about how he had promised God, God, if you'll just get me out of this, then I'll give my life to you. And Louis Samperini turned around, and he came up front, and he committed his life to Christ. And everything changed that night. When Louis Zamferini did that, do you know where he went? He went to the cross. For the first time in his life, he embraced God's forgiveness for him personally. And it was a powerfully compelling moment. And as he embraced God's forgiveness, here's what happened. It began to flow into his heart, and it began to flow out of his heart. And he began to realize that forgiven people forgive. He realized that God could avenge him, and he could let that go. And the application would be to overcome evil 
with good. In 1952, he went back to the Japanese prison, Sagamo, and there he saw the guards who had beaten him. And they were criminals themselves, war criminals. And Louis Sanfarini went to the prison. And here's what he said. I just want to thank you that Jesus Christ, I want you to know that Jesus Christ has forgiven my sins. And because he has forgiven my sins, I want you to know that I forgive you and what you did for me. And then one by one, he, he went to each one of those guards and he, he told them that he had forgiven them for what had happened. But there was one guard who was not there. Matashiro Watanabe, he was not there, he was on the run. And Watanabe, they had told him, probably killed himself. He died maybe through Harikari, and, and that's what he didn't want to happen. But a producer for 60 Minutes located him in 1997, and he said, can I come and interview you? And so Watanabe said, sure. And so they contacted Louis Amparini, and he said, we've, we've located Watanabe. Would you like to write him a letter, and I'll give it to him? And he said, yes, I would. When I read the letter, I thought, there is the power of the cross. Forgiven people forgive. They overcome evil with good. This really does work. And listen to what the letter says. To Mr. Matashiro Watanabe, as a result of being a prisoner of war, my experience under your unwarranted and unreasonable punishment, my post-war life became a nightmare. It was not so much due to the pain and suffering as it was the tension and stress and humiliation that it caused me to hate you with a vengeance. Under your discipline, my rights, not only as a prisoner, but as a human being were taken away. They were stripped from me. And it was a struggle for me to maintain my dignity and hope to even live till the war's end. The post-war nightmares caused my life to crumble. But, thanks to a confrontation with God through the evangelist Billy Graham, I committed my life to Jesus Christ. Love replaced the hate that I had for you. Christ said to forgive your enemies and to pray for them. As you probably know, I returned to Japan in 1952, and I was graciously allowed to address all the Japanese war criminals at Sagamo Prison. I asked them about you. I told that you had was told that you were probably dead, and I was sad to hear that. But at that moment, I forgave the prisoners, I mean the soldiers who were now prisoners, and I also forgave you. And now, he says, I would hope that you would become a Christian. Signed, Louis Zamperini. Now, please don't miss this. What he wrote is the application of forgiveness. Embrace God's forgiveness for you. Forgiven people forgive. Let God avenge you and overcome evil with good. It works and it's available to you today because God loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you because he wants to break the grip of the grudge in your life. He wants to break the chains of the past so that you can move forward and that's good news today. Father, right now I pray that every person who can hear my voice would really look at their own lives and realize that every one of us 
didn't get what we deserved from you. Every one of us can experience your grace, and some of us have, and maybe some of us have not, but it's available. Lord, I pray that we might experience it today. I pray that we might embrace it. And Lord, I know that it's so difficult for us to try to have a good relationship with you when we're holding on to a grudge from the past. And so today, Lord, I pray that we would lay that burden down. I pray that we would take that weight off our shoulders. It just causes us to collapse emotionally. We're tired of carrying it. Lord, there may be people who are listening today who've held on to something for a long, long time. They still make decisions based on what happened to them years ago. The people may be dead and gone, but they still hang on. Today, Lord, I pray for victory. I pray for freedom. I pray for celebration. I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, they might experience the grace and forgiveness that only you can give and give a peace that passes all understanding. And because of that, they might be able to let go of that grudge from the past. They might be able to forgive as they have been forgiven. Lord, all we have to do is look at Jesus on the cross and we can see how he forgave and we can see how he lived and he wants us to be like him. Christian, Lord, it means Christ-like. And we could spend the rest of our lives just surrendering to him daily so that we could become more like him. And Lord, it's not just for us, but it's for others. Lord, our salvation is not just so that everything will be fine for us, between us and you, but it's so that we might have an impact on the world, so that we might show them what it means to be a Christian so that they might know when they look at us they see an example of Jesus Christ Lord we're, we're sinful people we need forgiveness we fail we fall short but because of Jesus and his forgiveness when we embrace that when you look at us you see righteousness and Lord I pray that because of Jesus others might see righteousness in us too for their sake before it's too late, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.